0: Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer on this very special MLK holiday, um, the day we set aside to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and I thought, what am I going to do for a show on Martin Luther King Day? And um, so I called Isaiah Wagner, a friend of mine from the Black community, and I said, why don't you set up a couple of people to come on and talk, and and we'll have no agenda. uh, But I want to know the concerns of uh, Black Oregonians in the year 2022. And from your point of view, not from the white people point of view, which is me, um, I want it from the Black community. So that's what we're going to do tonight. He's brought a couple of great guests on with him, and we're just going to have a conversation. Uh, No motivation. um, No. um, There's no... uh, a real purpose, except for to hear the concerns of Black Oregonians um, in our audience. And uh, I'm super excited to do this. So we're going to kick off our show. Uh, Bill London will have the news and we'll be back in just a few minutes uh, to have an honest, open conversation. Who puts up with this? That's what I don't understand. Bring the lion out. Bring the, bring the lion. Um, tonight on our show, we're going to have, hey guys, don't you think it's kind of fun that you get to comment on the news? Yeah, there's a cost. Oh yeah, there's a cost. People come after you. Like, I think that's why this is so much fun, is because we'll see you at five.
1: Good evening from the News Radio 1120 and 93.7 FM KPNW Studios. I'm Bill London, also co-host of The Wake Up Call but you can just call me Gunter. All right, so here's a look at some of the stories we're following. In case you were wondering whether there were any updates on that mass shooting that took place at the Wow Hall on Friday evening, Um, At this point, no. Police are still looking for tips in that case. If you have any, maybe you have video footage from security cameras around your home or your business, you are asked to contact the Eugene Police Department. At this point, we can tell you that there are still six people who are listed as hospitalized, one in critical condition. Um, According to witnesses at the time, it was a single assailant in a hoodie who opened fire with a handgun outside of the Wow Hall on Friday night during a rap concert. At this point, no arrests have been made, and the only description the police have is that it was a man in a hoodie. So if you were wondering, so how is this thing with Governor Kate Brown commuting sentences for offenders and offering clemency and the like, essentially letting people out of prison? Well, we'll give you one example. So there is a convicted Portland serial burglar that's on the loose and he's accused of crimes after his prison sentence was commuted by Governor Kate Brown. Now back in the summer of 2019, a Multnomah County judge sentenced then 64-year-old Melvin Tillman to six years in prison for not one, not two, not three burglaries but ten that were committed over eight months in Portland. And a couple of those burglaries were caught on surveillance camera, including one at a store on Northwest 23rd in Portland. Tillman was seen in those videos smashing the glass front door with a rock, grabbing the cash drawer and running out. Now, Tillman was granted a release by Governor Brown in June of 2021 as part of her first wave of so-called COVID commutations, a move that Brown claimed very seriously would prevent further loss of life. Well, the governor's office now blames the Multnomah County District's Attorney's Office and said, well, he was made aware when Tillman was being considered for commutation and he had the opportunity to raise concerns about his potential release. Uh, yeah, well, we released him, but you you should have said something. Brown also, her office, released a further statement that says, Our office is still gathering information and doing our due diligence regarding Tillman's latest indictment. Information will be presented to the governor and she'll make a decision in the case whether to revoke his commutation. Okay, well, if she would have done her due diligence in the first place, she would have known that in 2019, Tillman had pleaded guilty to 10 break-ins. And before he was sentenced for those 10 burglaries, Tillman had 43 other felony convictions, 33 of them being second-degree burglary. Due diligence? As a matter of fact, in 2018, Tillman was arrested for a crime spree in northwest Portland and then released four days later and now the governor is going to do due diligence. You see, the way I look at it is you kind of do the due diligence before you do whatever it is you're going to do. So whatever you do isn't going to be what some people might consider stupid. So in 2021, Oregon's Mordor, Portland, recorded 90 homicides amid a surge in gun violence, shattering the city's previous high of 66, set more than 30 years ago. The number of homicides in Portland has now surpassed more populous cities like San Francisco and Boston. Twice the number of slayings happened in Portland last year than in Seattle, and killings have been on the rise for the past few years. From 2019 to 2020, Portland had an 83% increase in killings, more than nearly all major cities. At the time, nationally, homicides increased, according to the FBI data, about 30%. Oh, but Portland's leading the way. City police and officials say last year's increase was fueled by gang-related incidents, drug deals gone awry, and disputes among people living on the streets. Now, if you think back to May, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler warned residents that quote, groups were traveling to the city from Washington and California to engage in and advance gun violence. Wheeler further went on to say, groups involved in this violence have issued an order to shoot someone in the next 30 days or be shot for not showing loyalty. Groups. These were gangs. Probably not the active 2030 club. Similar to the 90s, Portland police officials at least openly admit that the city faces a rampant gang problem and comparatively police and residents say the boldness of the shooters, their young age and the amount of shots fired surpass anything they've seen before. Then there's at least 10 homicides involved among transients settling street grievances. Portland's police budget, of course, has struggled to keep up with the violence amid an acute staffing shortage and budget cuts that the city council made to virtue signal to anti-police hate groups. As of November, the police force was 128 officers below its authorized strength, and since August of 2020, 200 officers at least have left the department. In November of last year, Portland was among major cities that added funds to their police department, which members of the City Council had spent months demonizing. City Council unanimously passed a fall budget bump that included increasing the $230 million police budget by an estimated $5.2 million. So, a number of Lebanon school district parents are just a little bit honked off after a school board meeting last week ended abruptly. According to the meeting agenda, there were a number of topics that were going to be discussed, including a school facilities bond proposal and a proposal regarding school based health care centers for students. Now, the school based health centers are a place where students can go for physical, behavioral, and preventative health services, according to the district. During the public comments, One parent testified claiming students, quote, feel trapped in the system where they have no control, no say, and no critical information. He also said parents and the public need to know more about school-based health clinics before they're implemented. After that parent spoke, the board only allowed one more public comment. And that fueled some anger from a number of parents who were at the meeting. So the second and last of the parents to speak said what is the point of public members coming to your meeting these public meetings are about our children's schools if you're not going to let us speak. She also claimed that a November board meeting where the topic had been discussed had been erased from online. Parents are also fuming because a number of board members were on their phones ignoring the only two parents who were speaking, and in total the meeting was only 16 minutes long. Gee, you couldn't see this coming. Retiring Oregon Democratic U.S. Representative Peter DeFazio has endorsed Val Hoyle in the race to replace him in the 4th District Congressional seat. DeFazio stepping down. He's held that seat since 1987. And DeFazio pointed to Hoyle's record of winning elections to the Oregon House and as a House Majority Leader. You you couldn't have seen this one coming because on the day that DeFazio announced that he was quitting, he held an online press conference and not two minutes after that press conference was over, Val Hoyle announced that she was going to be running for his seat. Hmm, I doubt that she had any advanced information. That wouldn't have happened. That's not possible. This is Oregon. No. Well, we know of another bill that likely is going to see the light of day in this upcoming short legislative session, and that is giving certain Oregon workers $1,000 as state Democrats are reviving a bill that would provide those who stayed on the job during the pandemic with a one-time stimulus payment. They're calling it the essential worker pay act the same type of bill flunked out of the last long legislative session when essentially the proposal was $2,000 in stimulus payments at this point under legislative uh, under LC 157. They say that people whose jobs are classified as medium to high risk by OSHA would be eligible. People who worked at least 20 hours a week in person between April and December of 2020 and have made less than $22 an hour and didn't receive any other bonus or hazard pay from the state. And I'll leave you with this. This is not happy news, but I'll leave you with it anyway. New data shows thousands of Americans are living with depression and anxiety, and many mental health professionals say it all has to do with the pandemic. Over the past two years, many professionals say they've seen more and more new patients reaching out for help. And according to the data from the U.S. Census Bureau, right now more than 50% of people 18 to 29 who are living alone have symptoms of anxiety and depression, pretty much the same number for people aged 30 to 44. All right, Rick, it is time to get real rolled. So real roll us, Rick.
0: All right, Bill, thank you for your news and your time and your work and all the information you get for us. We really do appreciate it. Our show tonight is sponsored by Buck Sanitary Service because they do believe in conversation. They don't always agree with everything we talk about, but they also understand that's how Oregon should be. Um, We don't have to just sponsor at uh, people that think exactly like us and uh, we appreciate that about them and chris dental family dentistry uh dr michael bratland another sponsor of our news segment every single night so tonight we had a great story i was down in eugene today my son is in town because we're leaving and he was saying goodbye kind of hanging with us and i'm standing back uh we went to claim 52 for lunch and i'm kind of on the street over there and i looked over off in the distance and here is this beautiful mural of Dr. Martin Luther King, painted in the coolest. I have a picture of it, and I didn't get it lined up on here, but it's on uh, near the near the Christian Church, and it's on a big white wall. And it's Dr. King looking, you know, just like he did in the 1960s when when he was shot and killed. But it was a picture of him, and then all the other artwork on it looked like something out of a Marvel comic strip. And I just stood there in awe and I went, I have never seen that before. And here it is, Martin Luther King Day. And I'm standing here and I, I, I've i heard people talking about it, that it was new and, you know, there was up. But it was so profound to see it on this wall. And plus, knowing what we had planned for tonight, which is um, the best part of doing my job. I don't know what we have planned, but I called my friend Isaiah Wagner. Hi, Isaiah. How's um, doing, Eric? Oh, yes. man, it's good. And I just said, Isaiah, I want you to do me a favor. Because um, I'm a white dude, um, I would like you to find members of the black community and come on and let's just talk about the issues you want to talk about and what are the concerns of uh, black Oregonians in 2022. And I have no agenda, I have no alternative motive, um, I just want to have a conversation. So he found Sinead Joyce Stringer. Sinead, thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for the invite.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. And we have Dr. Silky J. Booker, chairman and co-founder of OBCC, um, and he's got the king on his hat. <laughs> We're ready to go. So Isaiah, why don't each one of you guys maybe just introduce yourself, give me like a really Reader's Digest condensed version of who you are um, and connected with all this, and that'll just give people some some idea of who you are. So Isaiah, why don't you start, and then we'll go to and then we'll go to Dr. Silky.
3: Sure. My name is Isaiah Wagner. Uh, People may remember me from um, my recent activism years with uh, the BLM marches and also um, running a political candidacy against um, Lucy uh, Venice, our current mayor. And um, that's that's pretty much myself.
0: Well, I'm going to throw something in on your introduction, too. The way I connected with you is Isaiah was one of the guys out there Uh, during the protests that went awry and and the people were burning down stuff. And Isaiah was one of the people um, out there going, no, don't do this. it, we want a peaceful protest. We don't, don't be doing this. And that's when we started connecting and having you on the show. And and you know what I love about having you on, Isaiah? And I hope you take this the right way. <laughs> but I get just as much criticism. Why do you have Isaiah on there? And people say, Isaiah, why are you on Rick Dancer's show? So we are two of the most... Um, Uh, What, what's the word I wanted? We, we, we have fans and we have people who really don't like us. And I love that about you because you're not afraid to go balls to the wall. And um, I always get people on here who are going, oh my God, Rick, I can't believe it. But the same thing happens for you. So I appreciate our friendship and that we can do this in in a peaceful way. And I hope that doesn't, I know you're tough enough to take that. I think it's good. Sinead, now tell us, tell folks who you are.
2: So good evening. Thank you so much for having me here tonight. I am in the education field. I do community engagement and wellness um, for the county. And I am also an education classroom educator and have worked a lot with many black organizations to put on some cultural events that create that black space and it's all black centered, um, in my time being here in Oregon.
0: All right. And Dr. Silky turn on your microphone. I think yours might be off. It looks like, there we go. So tell people who you are, my man.
4: Hello. How are you doing? <clears throat> I am Dr. Silky J. Booker, uh, philanthropist chairman, founder of Oregon black chamber of commerce, also state commissioner. And I am a, uh, also a, uh, retired, uh, combat military veteran, disabled military veteran.
0: Well, thank you for your service. We appreciate thank it. You. So, let's talk. What What's the big issue? When When I said that to you guys, and Isaiah called you up, big issue for Black Oregonians, right? In 20, right now, what's one of the biggest issues that we need to talk about?
4: No, I'll, I'll let anybody start who wants to start.
2: Okay, <laughs> I will start.
4: Okay,
0: Shanae, you go. Ladies <laughs> first. You go for it.
2: Um, so. For- For me and the work that I do is definitely still working with um, some systemic racism within uh, school systems here. And ensuring that students of color, not only Black students, but for sure, um, Black students, other minority or marginalized communities, um, do have access to curriculums that is cur- culturally sensitive, that they do have access to reading materials that is diverse and up to date and culturally relevant. Also having educators that buy in the need for anti-racist schools and school districts and to participate in professional development that will help them further their understanding of Black history, Black culture, Black identity, especially when they are also then teaching Black students so that there is a level of understanding um, and a way to connect with their youth. with the recent things that have happened at local schools in the community with some racial epithets towards students. I think that there needs to be greater transparency with many of the school districts and how they are handling these issues. Um, There needs to be some consensus on a lot of the school boards when it comes to addressing issues of equity for students and having some equity policies in place. It's nice that many of these school districts have equity statements, but we need actions behind those statements, Um, especially when issues of equity, issues of inclusion actually show up when it's time to actually do the work. There seems to be some stalls, some pullback on actually seeing that happen. So I think that for Black students here in Lane County, here in Oregon, that they're not only seen, but they're also heard, and that they, they feel and know that they do belong in the spaces where they receive their education.
0: Does it still feel like to you that we that it's poo pooed?
2: Yeah, there there's definitely though there bubbles um, in a lot of spaces and places here. Um, has there been some progress? I'm certain. Could we do more, a lot quicker? For sure
4: what and,
0: would you do right away shanae what could be done like right away one thing um that could that that people could understand you know what i mean to, to make right. it like you know what i mean really easy to understand
2: right um i think one of the things that there just has to be transparency top down starting with superintendents right because most people look to their leadership when it comes to the direction and the vision Uh, for that entity and so as I said there are these equity statements but what happens when it comes to school boards and certain leaderships when it's time to implement and take action utilize equity tools that's where the pushback that's where the stall and stagnation actually happens so when an incident of racism happens or an incident where you know there was just something that was unjust to a student of color. I think there needs to be swift response and not just the political response, but actual actual steps that is transparent, but also pulls in the Black community to help with these responses, Black leaders, Black voices, those that actually do DEI work, bring them into those spaces because the truth of the matter, yes, we recognize that Black students, Black teachers, are the minority but as long as there's just one black student in their care in their care receiving education it merits the need and the right for them to implement such tools and techniques
0: so so booker do you guys get just as tired as the rest of us of i mean you get politicized all the time you know what i mean do you feel like
4: what what do you mean by um, Well, it
0: seems like it always has to get political with all this, and it's like you're just looking for things to get done, and it always has to be – does that make sense?
4: Well, considering, I mean, the system that we find ourselves in was politically created. Yeah. So you are talking about everything that we do as as a society is going to be politicized because everything that we're governed by for its rights, rules, regulations is political. Right. So all of us are going to get politicized.
0: So big issue for you. What, what would, um, and it can be in addition to Sinead, I'm not discounting anybody. I just want to know what's what the biggest thing on your heart is, what you're thinking.
4: Uh, I just think that we, white people have to get comfortable with talking about whiteness and how it affects everybody. Like the, this country, these principles, the rules, constitution was built on whiteness. And until, we get to a space where we can admit that and we stop teaching that the slavery and Jim Crow is the history of black people and not the history of white people, then we're never gonna progress in terms of where we need to get and have this honest conversation. Um I'm glad that we you are inviting us to talk about this, but it also is a bigger issue that's gonna be solved on this talk show. It, it, it takes And I'm going to say this, When what happened with, I'm going to say something, I'm going to give you an example. The the only time that the system will change is when white people are uncomfortable. And that has to, like, if you saw what happened with George Floyd, everything that transpired about that was because white people finally saw something that made them uncomfortable. And it's like, this, we got to do something. This is not right. But this has been happening <laughs> since the establishment of this country. You know, so it's like, uh, it, for us, it's like, really? <laughs> it, it, it took something like George Floyd to happen for action to be taken. So it, that's why I say, until we get to a space where we could talk about whiteness and how nothing changes until white people are uncomfortable, then we're really not going to get to the core of what the, what the division is about in this country. You know, the principles, the rules, the constitution, who was it really written for? Who was it really for? So as we continue to live in this politicized environment that all of us are a part of, we have to understand and talk about how it originated and how we got to where we are right now. But um, it's it, we could talk about division all day, but you also have to talk about what brings us together beyond the division, hence why we are t- gonna be talking today about uh where we see ourselves moving forward and stuff like that. So I'll answer your questions as we move forward, but just your your first question, we have to get to a, a point where we could just be comfortable talking about the real issues. And we have to talk about accountability and then how that accountability plays a part in making things different and equitable and inclusionary for everybody.
0: So Isaiah, do you think that some I mean you and I have had these conversations before like but and I get ridiculed every time. I, I, I as a white guy, it's sometimes hard because I I'm, I'm so afraid I'm going to put my foot in my mouth or say the wrong thing. And now I guess I just don't care anymore because, you know, I I still get badgered by people for calling you black Americans because they say they're African Americans. And I said, well, actually they're not from Africa, they're from America and they're black. And this is what I've done my research and asked people what they want me to say. But even for little things like that, we're still arguing about that rather than going, how do we get to the real issue, which is having conversations. So as I just as take it away from there, um, I, you know what I'm talking about.
3: Yeah, yeah, not to get to your point, um, <clears throat> we'll get to that. I just wanted to tag off of something important that I feel like uh, both counter, uh, both people that I invited to be on the show said. Um, talking about, um, let's go with um, Sinead, Sh- uh, Sh- excuse me. Let's go with Shanae's point, she said something very important. What was that? What did she say? She said she wanted transparency. And that was exactly what Silky was alluding to when we were talking about accountability going down. That's what transparency really shows us. And then uh, Dr. Silky, what did he say? Something very important. White people have to be uncomfortable in order for things to change. And we can see that. Why is that an important point? Because we can see that how COVID has made such an effect on white people's um, ability to feel about justice, ability to feel about freedom, ability to free feel about um, wh- what is right and what is wrong morally, right? You know, uh-huh. so uh, I think it digs deep into a real big issue that you're kind of that. I think white people are understanding more how black people feel with this COVID situation. The ones that are really upset and the ones that are really trying, really stirring a fuss and feel like their civil liberties are being molested and yada, yada, yada. That's kind of where we're at as a whole for 400 years ever since we were sold off the boat is kind of where black people have felt uncomfortable at. And so that's why we're like, wow, it takes this little uncomfortability from white people to really get their arise a going, especially with George Floyd once they saw the knee on the neck. And so, like I said, it, it, it's it's that type of feeling and emotions that we would, would would love all white people to have when it comes to how black people are feeling and wanting to move forward in this world um and because so shanae,
0: what shanae was kind of saying about the school you know the schools and stuff is so oh yeah we you know and i'm not just picking on schools but i'm saying i think as a white culture we did this oh yeah here we need to we need to really get in and do this and all this up but as soon as it gets uncomfortable then it's back off um put everything back where it was and did it does it look okay does it look like we did anything instead of going what, what I hear you're saying is just like in most of our lives, when it gets uncomfortable, then you have to dig in harder.